Good morning. The sermon text today is John chapter 6, verses 22 through 59. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you, for on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me that I should lose nothing of all that he, that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about him, because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is not this Jesus the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father, except he who is from from He who is from God, he has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, 
Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. bow our heads in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you that you are the God who sends, sends bread to this earth to give life, not just physically, but spiritually, life eternal. Help us to ponder these words of Jesus, to draw them in, to feed on them afresh this morning. We pray. Amen. In 2005, Tom Brady sat down with Steve Croft in a 60 Minutes interview. Uh, At the time, Tom Brady was just 27 years old, but he was hugely successful. He'd already won three Super Bowl championships as the quarterback of the New England Patriots. Yeah, those guys. Um, Plus, he had a supermodel for a wife. He was a multi-millionaire, and he was adored by millions of fans, and he was (laughs) good-looking. Right, ladies? That's what they say. Uh, In the interview, Tom Brady said some things that surprised people. But then again, they shouldn't have. Tom Brady said, he said, quote, why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me? I think it's gotta be more than this. I mean, this isn't it. This can't be what it's all cracked up to be. And Steve Croft asked, what's the answer? Tom Brady responds, I wish I knew. It's a story we've heard many times from people at the top and in the middle and in the bottom and everywhere else. This can't be what it's all cracked up to be. Brady admitted that there's a hunger inside of him that no food on earth seems to be able to satisfy. And yet, when we look at it, Tom Brady's life was full. But you see, there's a difference between being full and being satisfied. Like those late night runs into the kitchen and you fill yourself with chips and cold chicken and half a jar of pickles. You fill yourself, but you're really not satisfied. There's a difference between filling yourself and being satisfied, right? And not just physically, but emotionally, spiritually. That is what Tom Brady experienced. He longed for more than a full belly. He longed for a satisfied belly. He longed for more than just a full life. He longed for a satisfied life. And you know, Brady's ahead of most people. Though he did not have the answer to whether there was something greater that truly satisfies He at least was honest enough to admit that everything we chase after in this world ultimately doesn't satisfy. 
It's true, isn't it? There's, there's no desirable thing on earth that once you come to possess it, you don't in the end just want more of it, right? Or you live in fear of it being taken away. So let me ask you, what is your go-to belly filler? If you would just pause long enough to reflect on the things that you keep bringing into your life to, to fill that belly, the things that bring you pleasure in the moment, but never real, lasting, satisfying joy. Perhaps it's, it's per, per possessions, perhaps it's romance or status or cool experiences or trips or amazing Instagram-worthy meals. Here's what C.S. Lewis said, listen. I sometimes wonder whether all pleasures are not substitutes for joy. In our passage today, we see that Jesus knows of our relentless pursuit of filling our bellies with food that does not satisfy. In love, he rebukes the crowd. He says, do not work for the food that perishes. And then he offers himself in verse 35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Here's what we need to see this morning. As bread from heaven, Jesus alone is able to fully satisfy us. We're going to look at that under three headings. We're going to look at the, the work, then the will, then the weightiness. First, the work. Here we contrast the work of the crowds versus the work of God. The work of the crowd is twofold in our passage. I hope you see this. First, they work to appropriate Jesus for their earthly appetite. Second, once Jesus eventually turns the conversation to a spiritual reality, they get the hint and they ask him what kind of work they need to do to keep God off their backs. So the crowd works to appropriate Jesus to fulfill their earthly appetites. You know, most people in America live with the belief that satisfaction is what? Just one job interview away, one marriage away, one college acceptance away, or one promotion away. But even when we get it, we're not satisfied. We think we're running towards satisfaction but listen, are we not really more like those mice you see in the cage on that little wheel, spinning around? Then we hop off for a little bit, and we're like, oh yeah, and we go back to doing it. Great image, huh? All right. The crowd worked hard to get to Jesus. They did. They traveled across the sea. Why? So that they could feed their bellies again. The day before, Jesus was on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, and a huge crowd had gathered in. And he had compassion on them. Why? Because there wasn't no food for them. And so he miraculously multiplies uh, five loaves of bread and two fish and makes a meal for 5,000. After feeding the crowd, they go into a frenzy. They talked amongst themselves. And they said, maybe, maybe this Jesus guy is this promised prophet that Moses had talked about. And then in chapter 6, verse 15, just right before our passage, um, Here's what we read. We read that they tried to take Jesus by force to make him king. 
You know, they say that a rising tide lifts all boats, and with Jesus as their political leader, the tide would rise high for all of them. And they want to appropriate him for their own earthly appetites. They were thinking, look how great he is at gathering a crowd. Look how he feeds us, and he feeds us, and feeds us with bread. Imagine what our lives would be like if we could just have him lead us. The crowds wanted to make Jesus king, but listen, he already was king. Verses 22 to 24, we see the crowds, they sailed across the sea of Galilee to Capernaum, where they thought Jesus might be there, seeking him. They found him, and when they found him in verse 25, they asked, Rabbi, when did you come here? They call him Rabbi, which means what? Teacher. And yet in 10 seconds, they will be disputing his teaching. But Jesus knows what's really in their hearts. He knows their motivations. And know this, God knows your heart right now too. He knows what you treasure. He knows what drives you to get out of bed in the morning. He knows your go-to way of filling your stomach. We can fool others with outward appearances of piety. But the Lord knows us deep inside. In verses 26 and 27, Jesus rebukes them. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Jesus had performed miraculous signs in their presence. He healed the sick. He fed 5,000. They saw the signs. But they did not properly seek what the signs pointed towards. Now, what is the purpose of signs? Well, thankfully, to quote the wise and wonderful music group Ace of Bass. You guys remember that? I saw the sign, and it opened up my eyes. I saw the sign. <laughs> It's not scripture, but I think it can be biblical. Um, signs are meant to open our eyes to the truth that they point towards. And so Jesus warns them, do not work for food that perishes. Now he's not saying don't have a job and provide for your family. What, no, what he is saying is don't make the stuff that your job can get you into your Savior. It's true, isn't it? We can easily live life on the mouse wheel, chasing after this and that. Income, travel, new clothes, and then more new clothes. Stuffing our spiritual bellies with things that may fill us for the moment. But then what happens? Well, the pay raise wasn't enough. The new clothes, the new car, they get old. Now, I hope you see that Jesus rebukes the crowd in love. Jesus has compassion on us. He knows we are like this. He knows we're all born this way. See, God made us this way. God made us for a relationship with him. St. Augustine uh, wrote in his confessions these oft-quoted words. He writes, you, God, have made us for yourself, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. In a sense, listen, we've all been born with a God-shaped hole in our hearts that only God can fill. 
But we don't want God. We want bread, car, sex, and social media likes. So Jesus tells the crowd that they, that they cannot appropriate him to fulfill their earthly passions. We need that rebuke too, do we not, at times? So the first work of the crowd is to appropriate Jesus. The second work is this. Um, Jesus turns the conversation spiritually, right? And so once he does this, they get the hint that, um, and, and they ask him what kind of work they need to do to keep God off their backs. Ah, they say, of course, you're a rabbi, and you're, and you're of course, you're going to turn this into a spiritual lesson. That's what rabbis do. Well, let us not disappoint you, rabbi. Let me ask a question uh, that will show that we're actually doing fine spiritually. They say in verse 27, they said, what must we do to be doing the works of God? In other words, Jesus, tell us what we need to do so that God will be okay with us as we keep living for our own passions to fill our own bellies. In other words, they really don't want God's center in their lives, but they don't want to upset him either. Add to this, they genuinely think that they can somehow do good works in a way to buy off God. You know, we see this tendency in the church today. Went to church two out of five Sundays, check. Did a couple devotionals last week. Okay, maybe it's the last two weeks, check. Okay, good. Now let me get going with my agenda. In response to the work of the crowd, Jesus responds with the work of God. The crowd thinks, surely Jesus has a list of things that we can do to keep God in our lives, but at a distance. And Jesus answers, sorry, there is no work you can do. Yes, there's work to be done, but it's only work that I can do. Verse 29, Jesus answers them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him, that's Jesus, whom he, God, the Father, sent. The people who are pressing in on Jesus are blind to their own spiritual need. They think they can work their way back up to God. And today, millions of people think that that's what Jesus came to do. He came down to show us how we can work our way back up to God. And Jesus is saying, no, you cannot work your way up. That is why I came down. And Jesus didn't come down to give us bread. Listen, Jesus came, look, Jesus came to be bread. And when you feed on Christ by faith, you come to realize he doesn't just fill your belly. He satisfies you completely. That's what he is offering. They reply in verse 30, they say, not so fast, Jesus, before we believe, we need to see a sign. Now, perhaps you're thinking, what, are they insane? They asked for a sign, you just saw one yesterday. Like, five loaves became enough to feed 5,000. And now here they are asking for another sign. Then they point to their ancestors and how Moses, when they were in the wilderness, that Moses gave the manna, the bread, from heaven. And Jesus is like, you know, thanks for the history lesson and all, but um, it wasn't Moses that gave you the bread. No, the Father in heaven sent the bread. Verse 33, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, sir, Give us this bread always. 
And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But friends, this is God's work for the world. He sent his son from heaven to earth to be the bread of life so that we may feed on it. That's the work, not for the will. God's will is that people experience the bread of life. We see this first in God's will to send. Repeatedly in our passage, Jesus makes the point that he's come down from heaven. He's been sent from heaven. In verse 38, we read the reason why he came down. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. It's God's will that Jesus was sent. Remember, God is a trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. There is one God, but God exists in three persons. The Son is equal with the Father, and yet the Son in his relationship role submits to his Father. And the Father sent the Son to be bread. For this world, whoever comes to me shall not hunger, whoever believes in me shall never thirst. My friends, God knows how he has made us. He has made us for himself. And he knows that mankind has fallen away. And that now we pitifully look for all kinds of other breads to fill us. But God's will is to come and to give us what Jesus calls lasting bread, bread, bread that thoroughly satisfies. It is God's will to send the bread of life. With the will to send, we also see the, the will of God to restore. In Christ, we are restored relationally with God. You see this in restore relationship in verse 37. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. You know, if you're trying to base your relationship with God upon any good work you could do to earn his favor, then isn't it true you're really just one failure away from messing it all up? All that you've earned? If it's on you, you'd be cast out. But Jesus says, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. This is that blessed assurance that we sing about. When Jesus gives his body and his blood on the cross, he gives us a restoration with God, so secure that it means if you've fed on Christ, you can never be cast out of what he has brought to you. And listen, if you've come to fed on Christ in faith, then no matter how strong your faith, you have been restored to God. And Jesus' pledge to you is that he will not cast you out. See, your salvation isn't based on how strong your faith is, but simply in whom your faith is. If your faith is in Christ, the bread of life, then his strength is what will save you. He is the one who is keeping you, not you. will of God is also to give us eternal life. You know, the problem is, as this crowd makes evident, we pretty much spend all of our waking hours ignoring the eternal, right? If we can just fill our bellies just a little bit better today, then satisfaction will finally come to us. Remember, friends, God is eternal. And listen, we human beings have been made in God's image as eternal beings. God made us for himself, not just for the 70 years we walked this earth stuffing our bellies with fun delights. 
When you die, that's not the end of you. Yes, your body goes into the grave, but your soul lives on forever. And you will, listen, you will either live eternally in God's presence with joy, or you will live forever in the place that Jesus calls hell. Now, like the crowds in Jesus' day, people today, they roll their eyes when the word hell is mentioned. For hell, uh, for many people, hell is just like a bad day in traffic. But as C.S. Lewis describes it, hell is the place where those who say no to God in this lifetime get their wish for all eternity. In hell, there will be no bread to fill your belly, no Netflix to take your mind off the eternal. There will be nothing, nothing to ease you, nothing. Because there is no grace in hell. There is no abundant sunshine that God sends on the earth. It's a place of sorrow. God sent Jesus, the bread of life, so that you may feed on him now by faith and be truly satisfied here and now and in the age to come. Twice in verse 39 and 40, Jesus says that he will raise up on the last day all who feed on him. Jesus' promise to you is he will raise you up on the last day if you feed on him today. What does he mean by the last day? The last day to come is when God restores this cosmos to glory and heaven comes down to a recreated physical earth and all who have fed on Christ in this lifetime, their souls will be united with a, a physical, beautiful, glorious body. And we will feast. And we will eat in God's presence for his glory. We will eat with thankful hearts. We will eat and be fully, eternally satisfied. That's the work and that's the will, not for the waiting. If you're a golfer, you know about the weightiness. At the practice range, there's a little weight on any shot you take, right? You swing away and they go all over the place, you really don't care. But when you're on the 18th green and you're trying to putt for the win, you feel the weight. The exchange here between Jesus and this crowd, it builds to real weightiness. Why? Well, there's a lot at stake. Eternal life for these people hangs on whether they believe or not. And the weightiness, it leads to grumbling. You see that? Look at the response of the crowd in verse 41. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I'm the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph? His father and mother, we know, we know them, we know them. It's like from the Seinfeld episode. We know them. How does he now say, I've come down from heaven? And Jesus' response is just, stop grumbling. Bread came down from heaven, and they grumbled. Does that remind you of anything? Yeah. So they were talking about Moses and how wonderful he was with the manna. God fed them manna because they were grumblers. For almost 40 years, he fed them this sweet-tasting, wonderful, as it's described in Scripture, wonderful meal every day. God provided every day for his people. But they got tired of it, and they grumbled, and they grumbled, and they grumbled. And so the crowd rejects Jesus because, well, we know his father, we know his mother, right? But they didn't pause to think that when the Messiah comes, when he comes, 
Well, of course he's going to be known by people as someone who grew up near them. Jesus simply replies, do not grumble amongst yourselves. And then in verse 47, Jesus lovingly pleads with them. It's a warning in love. Truly, truly, amen, amen, amen. I say to you, whoever believes in me has eternal life. I'm the bread of life. And he says, your fathers, the ones you're talking about, they ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. He's not saying that Christians don't die, but he's talking about that eternal reality, right? There is no death that, that, that separates you from God. He says, I'm the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of this world is my flesh. Jesus is pleading a big point. He's saying, okay, you want to compare me to Moses? Well, all the people who ate that manna, they eventually died. In fact, they never made it to the promised land. But all who feed on me will live forever. And oh, by the way, Moses gave you bread from heaven, but I am the bread from heaven. But it went in one ear, not the other. Why? Because when Jesus said the words in verse 51, they became unglued. Jesus says, oh, and, and uh, the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The crowd, crowd replied, that's it. I'm out of here. Can't take it anymore. The bread is your flesh? No way. Uh-uh. You've gone way too far. You've overstepped the bounds. And then things get really heavy. The Jews disputed amongst themselves, saying, How can this man give us flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. See the weightiness of this? You either feed on me and live, or you have no life in you. Sounds like the words of a madman. You've got to eat my flesh. But again, those signs he performed proved he wasn't a madman. God's seal is upon Jesus. Jesus shockingly says, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood. Now, drinking blood was an absolute no-no for Jewish people. Scripture states in the book of uh, Leviticus, that, that as they butchered animals, they, they must pour out the blood and, and not even drink it. The nations around, they all drank the blood. Why were they prohibited? Well, here's what we read in Leviticus 17.11. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and the eyes is God speaking, and I have given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement my the life of the flesh is in the blood. Jesus knows that he's going to the cross as a sacrifice. His body, his flesh, will be broken on the cross and his blood will be poured out to make atonement for the sins of the world. Jesus is saying, when you feed on me by faith, that is, that, that unless you feed on me by faith, unless you believe in me and, and take me in, Bring me into your life. Unless you let me fill that God-shaped hole that you have, you will never really have life, either now or in the age to come. Jesus is using such graphic imagery because of the weightiness of what is before them. Life and death hangs in the balance. There is eternal weightiness in Jesus' words. Now the question for you this morning is this. 
Will Jesus be the bread of life that's come from heaven for you? Will you hear his words? Do not work for food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man, that's what he called himself, will give you. Will you delight in the fact that God, that that yearning you have inside is really because God placed a hole in your heart that only he can fill and he wants to fill it? Will you get off the mouse wheel of life and rest in him? Some of you here need to hear this for the first time. You've come to see now that you are stuffing yourself uh, with things that really can't satisfy. Like, like Tom Brady, you're, you're wondering what the answer is, and now you've heard it. There's bread from heaven that you can feed upon. So right now, turn to Christ. Feed on him by faith. Believe in the one God has sent. Others here are fed on Christ. We need reminding that nothing we can fill our stomachs with here on this earth will ever satisfy. Yes, we can get filled with pleasures that ease the pain for a little while, but we'll always want more and more. And with the more and more, we actually miss out on the bread of life. In a few minutes, we're going to share communion together. Perhaps you're thinking, these words of Jesus, that his call to feed on his flesh and and drink his blood. Are his words meant to point us to the Lord's Supper? No. The Lord's Supper is meant to point us to him and his words. The Lord's Supper points us to the bread of life who came down from heaven and our continual need to feed on him and find our satisfaction in him alone. So that's the work, that's the will and the weightiness. Jesus offers himself to this world as the bread of life. He alone can fully satisfy in this age and the age to come. I want to end uh, this sermon on with a story from one of our members here at Grace Church. A few years back, we had an evangelism workshop, and part of the homework was to write out your personal testimony. Your testimony is a, your Christian testimony of, of uh, your life before Christ, what coming to Christ was like for you in your life afterwards. Uh, and so Linda Muse's story is a wonderful story. She's given me permission to read it, so it's not like I'm surprising her right now. Um, but as I read, I want you to take notice of the ways Linda tried to fill herself with things of this world and how Christ came to be her living bread that now fills her with great satisfaction. And she told me, if you have any questions afterwards, you can see her. Here's what Linda Muse, this is her testimony, part of it. Most of my adult life could be characterized as lacking any real inner peace. I always felt the lack of a husband and children caused this void in me. Although I, I would not show it on the outside, inside I always felt unchosen and alone. My whole life as a single woman was filled with doubt, uncertainty, anxiety, which would often lead to depression and desperate thoughts. I was always in a constant state of seeking and wanting and never felt satisfied with what I had. I didn't, it didn't seem as if anything could fill the longing that was growing in my heart. I always felt like I was kind of living a surface kind of life. 
Just little momentary sprinkles of fun experiences here and there, such as a music concert or buying some cute clothes at a tag sale, but not a life that I longed for in my heart that had depth, real meaning and purpose. Deep inside, I felt like a lone sheep that got separated from its flock. I realized I was needy, an empty creature, no, ma no matter how hard I tried to fill my life with worldly objects and pleasures. I was invited by my friend Mark Dodd to an international dinner given by members of Grace Presbyterian Church. Everyone there seemed warm and friendly, that's good, <laughs> um, that I felt drawn to go to the Sunday service at the church the next morning. After a few weeks, I decided to participate in the Bible study class called Christian Explorer. We were studying from the Bible uh, in the book of Mark, and we were learning about who Jesus was and why he came. While reading about him, I felt this deep sense of peace like I'd never experienced before. I love what I discovered. I also learned the gospel, that we're sinners, broken people, and when a person trusts in what Christ did on earth, then that person is saved from God's righteous judgment and is declared right in God's, uh, God's eyes through Jesus. I recall the moment I surrendered to Christ when an elder from our church named Rob told me that I'm never alone when I have Christ in my life. He said, Jesus walks beside you. He perceives your thoughts and knows what's in your heart. For the next three Sunday services, I cried, remembering what Rob said, feeling a comfort inside like I never felt before. My tears were a cleansing, a releasing of my old life, letting go of all that heaviness, uncertainty, darkness, and anxiety that embodied me all the time. I felt so light and free. It was from this moment that I understood what it meant to be committed to Jesus Christ and his teachings. I felt this deep sense of relief in my mind and body, knowing that I didn't have to run my own life. The inner peace, joy, and hope that I was striving for so desperately was finally found in Christ. I feel the Holy Spirit within me every day, an experience of peace that can only come from him. In summary, my loneliness led me to Christ, and I find my joy and hope in Him. Singleness is still difficult at times, but I entrust in the Lord with, my, with His desire. I trust that He will bring me a man if that's what He wants for me. I also realize that no man could ever love me more than God can. In the meantime, I have a God who listens to me, answers my prayers, is always present, and loves me unconditionally. My friends, Jesus offers himself to you. Will you feed on the bread of life? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you do not give us what we think we want. You give us what we need. And in the end, it is really what we want. We thank you that uh, you made us for yourself. We thank you that we are restless until we find our rest in you. We thank you that that rest is ever present with us through your Son, our Savior. Amen. <laughs>